0: What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back. This has been a long time coming, unfortunately, uh, but it's for a good reason. Uh, We have been busy. We just moved down into Burley and this is like where the permanent home of the podcast is gonna be for the foreseeable future. I need to read out the ads as I do each and every week. Um, And we have a new sponsor on board for the show this week but every time a new advertiser comes on i really want to reiterate the fact that i'm just not trying to sell this shit out i really want to believe i want you guys basically it's like i want you guys to buy what we're advertising because it is good essentially like that's really the long and the short of it this company that is on board with us now is a company by the name of ridge wallet and it's a really cool story uh, the guys reached out and they said oh have you heard of this company I was like actually I had one of your wallets in the US but I fucking lost it and I was devoed and I just I never ended up getting another one but I really liked it it's a minimalist wallet um, we've posted some photos to our Instagram uh, it's a minimalist wallet and it's got the uh, RFID. Um, protection. So people can't like scan your cards. Uh, It's made out of either titanium or carbon fiber. Basically your cards go in, it expands out um, as your cards go in. And the wallet is basically the size of a business card. It's just the thickness uh, changes as you put more cards inside. Because let's be honest with, when it comes to a wallet, like receipts should be given to your tax folder, whatever folder you've got. Let's, there's no reason you should like put a receipt in a wallet and just let it sit there. And then you end up with this ridiculously fat wallet of receipts. And I'm guilty of it until I got my new Ridge wallet the other day. Like that's what I did. And I went through my wallet and I took out like three cards and a little bit of cash. And that's it. I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous for this weight that I've been carrying around. You just don't need all that shit. And you especially... Don't need to be holding onto receipts for months and months like I do. And I know everyone does it. Uh, so, with the Ridge Wallet, super minimalist. Uh, it's, this, it's literally the outline of a credit card, but it's just a little bit thicker. Um, I've got the titanium version, uh, which you'll see on our Gypsy Tales Instagram at Gypsy Podcast. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really cool to have one of those again. So it, would, it was really cool when the guys reached out and, and we like, have you heard of this? And I was like, man, I love that product. A bit of background. They were started as a father son company funded by Kickstarter. Uh, and now they're killing it, but it's just because every now and again, a couple dudes have a really good idea that solves a problem that you didn't know you had. So yeah, as, uh, as a favor as a gift, make this whole process a little bit easier. Uh, you can get free worldwide shipping and you can also get 10% off uh, by going to ridgewallet.com slash and use the code going as always. Uh, and you can get yeah that free worldwide shipping and 10% off. The next ad is to the homies at Nobby. Uh, I am going to Thailand, uh, sorry, Vietnam tomorrow. Uh, like I alluded to at the start of this, I'm going for 10 days and I'm taking 10 nobbies with me. That is 10 months, uh, of your subscription. I'm going to have fresh duds. Every time I swing a leg over that damn motorcycle, uh, cause we're riding from the top of Vietnam to the bottom or the bottom to the top, whatever that it's like the top gear tour. Uh, so we're doing that. I'll have my girlfriend on the back Uh, she will probably be in Nobby's as well. I'd say there's actually a very, very good chance she will be in Nobby's the entire time too. Um, But yeah, besides the point, you can go and join the Nobby Nation at nobbyunderwear.com.au. 20 bucks a month gets you a fresh pair of deadly duds. Um, And yeah, this has been a partnership that has been really, really good for us. And it has also been really good for a lot of the Gypsy Gang. A lot of you have subscribed and I get a lot of feedback. I get constant feedback uh, through Instagram about how good the undies are, how pumped they are. Again, I'm not out here trying to sling shit. Uh, It just uh, just suck. It'd suck. I'd hate to be here and just be bullshitting and then people be like, dude, fucking underwear is shit. Why'd you sell me this shit? Uh, But that's not the case. Literally, I don't get that and it feels good because I just, yeah. I don't wanna be doing that. I don't wanna be selling garbage. Gypsy gang. Um, all right, so I am Jace McAlpine. For those of you who don't know, maybe remarkably you're finding this for the first time. Um, what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna attempt to do is read the news for Supercross. Uh, originally, like, okay, I should give people context. If you, if this is the first video that you're seeing from this channel by chance. Uh, What I actually do is a podcast called the Gypsy Tales Podcast. And that is obviously featured on this channel. So that's like the main gig. That's what I mainly do. Uh, This is something that I wanted to do with one of my guests, Sam Moore, um, who is the owner of Fist Gloves. Uh, but he has gone to Nitro Circus. So we had planned on doing this podcast sort of thing together and just sort of breaking down uh, the first, I guess, West Coast swing of this championship. Um, Sam was actually there for a few of the rounds. I believe he was there for like Anaheim two, And I want to say he was also at, he was at Phoenix. And then I think he was also at he wasn't at San Diego, but anyway, he was at some of those rounds. Um, so it would have been cool to talk to him. Um, he was hanging out with a bunch of the the cool dudes uh, in Supercross. So we were going to get together, going to watch some highlights, um, but that fell through. Uh, I'm going to Vietnam on holidays um, tomorrow, so I was like, damn, we sort of, we definitely, we need content for the channel. This is something I wanted to do. I'd made notes for the first time in my not even, I guess, let's say semi-pro podcast career. I made some notes. Um, so I just wanted to go through some of the topics, give people a bit of insight into maybe how I think about these topics, uh, some of the stuff that's going down in the sport in this little West Coast swing. Hopefully when I get back from Vietnam, Sam's going to be back and we can talk more, I guess, do that podcast that we were originally going to do. Uh, we're also going to be doing a segment with Ben Townley right after the mains uh it's something that he's super keen to do that's something that I'm super keen to do uh so yeah, watch this space i guess so but just for today, I thought I've got these notes we're about to go east it's a it's a major turning point in the series, so let's just go through uh and just go through my notes so this is in no particular order um actually what I, we'll start by just saying like. Just how gnarly this season has been. In in years past, my criticism of the series on on the whole has been that we get to like three, four, five, six races in, which is sort of where we're sitting now, and it's a it's always a two, maybe three, if we're lucky, horse race for the AMA 450 Supercross Championship, and this year that's so far from the truth. Like we've had, uh, Cooper Webb is the only multiple time winner in this series so far, which is basically unheard of. Like I definitely didn't have that on my radar that Cooper Webb would be a multiple time winner before the series headed East. I also didn't think that Eli Tomac would only be getting his first win at San Diego. Uh, so my main knock, not knock, but my main talking point or sticking point with this series is like what do we have to do to make it to where there's more winners in this bloody series? Like, why does it come down to just this two horse race and maybe this three horse race if we're lucky? But it seems like every single week you can predict the top three and the the challenge becomes not who is gonna be in the top three, but it's just what order. And I'm I fucking love supercross i love this sport but i hate seeing that i hate playing that who's going to get first second and third like what order am i going to guess the top three not who is going to be in the top three and for the 2019 series it's it is who is going to be who is going to win this week and we've seen Baggett win we've seen uh we've seen uh cooper webb win twice now we've seen these guys like uh barcia winning the first round and then tomac only winning uh at san diego so we we've seen such a big shakeup in this series and it's the, that glimmer of hope that i've been waiting for because i don't know how to make a sport sustain uh, i don't know how to make a sport sustainable long-term if we just know who's going to win every single weekend and that to me was like my biggest thing is it the tracks is it the bikes is it the riders is it is it an arms race between who has the best trainer like what is it that's causing this stale repetitive nature of of supercross that we've seen over the last few years and in 2019 it's it's i'm so pumped to say that we just we don't have that now we have this wide open series, the the top three, top four in the series are separated by 10 points. I don't, I, I believe there's not even a 10 point spread at the top. We've seen the red plate change a bunch of times. And to me, this is the most exciting season of Supercross in, in, in memory for me, even like we've had exciting seasons, but they've been the James, Chad and Ricky show. And again, it's like, it's not who's going to be in the top three, it's what order. And don't get me wrong, like, we got spoiled with those guys. Like, we got so spoiled to watch Chad, Ricky, and James do their thing that it almost didn't matter who else was on the track. It was so, such like, incredible racing that we were treated to for that era. And then we moved into the Villapoto Dungy show, uh, and then now sort of into this I guess we all expect that we were going to move into like the Eli Tomac reign um but in Supercross that hasn't happened and last year again it come down to Eli Marv and Ando and again it's just that top three but but who's going to be in the order so this year we finally finally get that season and what's crazy is like like I don't really know why I don't the, the tracks, there've been some good tracks for me. Like, especially Anaheim, Anaheim 2 looks sick. Uh, Phoenix was a great track. It was a fast track. Uh, but it's not like the tracks have changed. It's not like the bikes have changed. It's just, I don't know, maybe we just got lucky. Or maybe maybe the secret that Alden had that propelled his guys to the top for so long. Or, you know, maybe, maybe that physical arms race has, has finally leveled out and all these guys are as fit as each other. All these bikes are as good as each other. And maybe now it's just taken like everything around the sport to get it to this point where it's this level playing field. It seems where, you know, there's six, seven guys that I really think could threaten. And there's guys that we haven't seen threatened yet that, can threaten guys like cole seeley come to mind we haven't seen plessinger hit his stride yet he if you think he can't win a race this year you're an idiot um so for me i i I don't know why i don't know whether it's some of those factors i alluded to or if it's just plain dumb luck that we have the best supercross season that i can remember i can't I, i really can't remember a better season by the time and i've said it before on the podcast by the time we get to the the east coast i'm done with it i'm 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 get that little pulse from going east because of lights because of the 250 class but that's it that's my saving grace for the series and then my next point comes when we go back west because by now in so many years past it's just so predictable so for whatever reason we have the best Supercross series that I can remember. I'm excited every single week to tune in. Uh, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I think that the typical roles we're like used to seeing aren't manifesting in the same way. Like You've got a guy like Ken Roxon that's always been known to just have this ridiculous speed. But we've seen him out of the series before it goes east two times in a row now but this season it seems like we're seeing him in the dungy role we're seeing him be cool with a second we're seeing him like uh, particularly in one of his interviews after san diego in the mud one he acknowledged the fact that yeah he doesn't really he hasn't got out of the west coast healthy in in two years which has got to be huge got to be massive for him mentally that's a huge hurdle that he would have had to overcome. And he's gotten past that. But the way that he's talking about consistency, and even I watched the first episode of the new Red Bull uh, Moto Spy that that the guys have produced. And it struck me, In I, I know Ken, I don't want to be like I'm name dropping here, but I know Ken well personally. And I've known him since he was a 16-year-old kid and I haven't been around him for the last couple of years in the same capacity that I used to be. And as soon as I turned on the first scene of the new Red Bull Moto Spy project is Ken talking to his mechanic. And I would be used to seeing this like aggressive, frustrated athlete that was just pushing 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 like wanting to win at all costs and you would you would see this like frustration and this almost i'd say passion more than anything is like coming out of him and this year i turn on that first episode of the moto spy and i see this like calm dude this like mature guy i don't i don't see that same 16 year old. Like I could see that him, I could see that in him in the past. I could see that 16 year old vigor, passion, uh, at times frustration because he knows the level that he needs to be at. Maybe he's not there. Um, but I didn't, I just didn't see that. I see a, I saw a dude that was very comfortable, very methodical thinking about where he's at, knowing that he will be ready even if he's not ready at that moment of filming, I believe it was in the preseason, but he was still like ready, even though he knew he wasn't quite there. So that to me was like really cool. And and I think that then when you go to the weekends now and you hear these podium interviews and you see the way he's racing and the, the way that he, man, it seems like he's up front off every single start this year. And that's massive. And I think that, when you combine great starts with not tripping on not winning these races and to be six around, like dude you know how bad he wants to win ken Roxon is dying to win again at how he's contained himself and especially what speaks to it is i don't know how well documented the cooper web beef is i don't know how much of that information is super public so i probably won't go there too much but at Anaheim too to get those seconds behind Cooper must have like burned him bad especially after the incident last year but it that to me speaks of like this big picture mentality that Ken is taking into this season and he's had the red plate he's lost the red plate but he's still in within 10 points of the championship at this point and the last two years he was in hospital so I think that this is massive for Ken and it's I, I really think that this is the dude that if I would have to say who is in the driver's seat of this championship in 2019, I'm I'm thinking it's Ken Roxton right about now. I think that the maturity and the consistency is there and the speed is there and more importantly, the starts are there and making good decisions when it counted. I think that the I'm really spoken on the the whole Anderson takeout thing. I sent Anderson a message after the the that incident because he made that speech on well like his podium speech and he said he was embarrassed and this and that and I honestly I just didn't see it that way. I thought that he had run it in on Ken three laps before uh they actually come together. That was maybe the only place on the track that ando was going to be able to get it done and i think that the the thing too maybe that like the uh i don't i don't, I don't want to say like casual observer but the the big thing is like the splits and i don't think people pay enough attention to like the split times right they break these tracks down into segments and when i was working with jdr it was really cool to see how Nate Ramsey and Jay and Vince and that crew would look at the segment times and the splits. So Ken might have been fast in section in split one and two, and then section three is where Ando was fast. So it's that like section three or segment three or whatever for argument's sake is that's where he can make the pass. If Ken's faster in those first two sections of the track or those first two splits or segments, then Ando's not going to be able to make a pass there. That doesn't, that's not to say that there's no passing lines or there's no opportunity or there's no, like, you could say like, oh, Baggett made a pass there. Well, Baggett might be faster in that section than Ken. But then Ken might be faster in the second segment and vice versa, it goes around. So these guys like have limited attacking windows. And I think that Ando had recognized that was his attacking window. Uh, and he went for that. He gave Ken room in that first uh, time that he sort of run it in. And then the next time, it, it I think it looked worse on TV than it actually was because the way that Ken went from I believe it was the right side to the left side. And then Ando went from the left side to the right side. So I think that actually made it look a lot worse than it was as well. But with the takeout itself, they sort of collide. Like Ando run up the inside. Ken was in, I think, like the middle rut or maybe like second from the top. So there was still room. I think a a really bad takeout for mine is when there is there's nowhere to go. There's no room. They're in the top line and you come from the inside and then you take that top line. That's what I, That's how I think a bad takeout is. I think you can run it in on somebody, but if there is still space where they can hit the brakes and then still make it safely around the turn, then I think that is, I'd say, like a racing incident. Um, but I think especially if there's like a warning shot and then it comes again in the same turn like three laps later... Then I think that there's either Ken didn't know he was there, or he knew he was there but wanted knew he had enough room to get out. And then at that time, at that point in time, you just rolling the dice. I guess that's sort of more besides the point than anything right now. Um, what I think the point really is with that is how Ken. Um, so i just you know yo 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 um what's more important i think is how ken reacted to the situation went head down bum up ended up on the box uh there's also there was talk that ando was hurt like i heard from a few people that he like hurt himself pretty good and that's why we didn't see like this version of him people were talking shit at the start of the year about ando but i was like dude i was in sydney where he's like smashed everyone like he was f- sending it Um, so I just, I don't think it was like a lack of form. I think there was something going on, but then he's come out later and said like, it really wasn't a big deal. Um, so I don't know. There's no reason like he's out for the, the season with a broken wrist. I don't think there's any reason for him to like hide a previous thing. I think if, yeah, I don't know. I think there's no reason for him to hide that. Um, but yeah, I guess my, my main point is just the fact that Ken was super mature in that, that defeat and it just seemed like he's just got that end game in in his sights now that being said i think eli tomac is just doing the exact same thing like he's won one round he's just been consistently there he hasn't he's had a lot of bad luck with starts which has kind of been his thing uh through his career but i think he's not as aggressively trying to slice his way through the pack as he has in the past which has then led to crashes so it's interesting man I think we've got these two these two premier dudes at the top of the sport that have cottoned on to the game that the dunge played so well for so many years. So I don't know, it's interesting. It's it's interesting and and man maybe that's why these dudes aren't like winning every single race is because they've finally let go of that need to win every single race. Maybe that's, maybe the other dudes are winning because these guys that have that next level speed are actually easing up and they're, they're taking less chances and they're playing that, that Dunge game. So I don't know, maybe that's why we're seeing more guys in the fray because these dudes you know, Ken and Eli have that ultimate confidence that at the end of it, if they're healthy, they're both going to be there. Um, We'll talk about Marv, who hasn't had that breakout performance for this season. I, I wonder with Marv, I wonder, he hasn't won a championship since 2015. And I think that with this class of guys that is in this 2019 championship hunt, he's the dude that hasn't won a championship. I guess I should rephrase this. I'm I'm butchering the terminology here. I think that in this current group of title contenders, the fact that Marv hasn't won a championship since 2015, that makes him the longest running guy without a championship in this class of 2019. And I wonder... How much that's affecting his mentality, especially knowing that he's the number one rider at KTM now. He embraced that last year. He had Tickle, who was not a threat to him in terms of race results. And now you've got Cooper Webb, who's coming off the back of three championships in the last couple of years in the Lights class. Granted, he had a pretty terrible season last year, but that kid's won recently, really really recently and now you've got Marv who hasn't won a title since 2015 he hasn't won a title since he went on the 450 class that to me it'd weigh on my mind that this young Cooper Webb is coming in he's gelling with the motorcycle he's the only back-to-back winner and he's also won a bunch of championships like recently I wonder if that has something to do with it now there's a mentality that This could be fuel for the fire, but there could also be a mentality of desperation. And this is completely speculative, but I wonder if the fact that Marv hasn't won a championship in so long, and now he is expected to win this championship, and he doesn't have Brock Tickle for a teammate. He has Cooper Webb, who's coming in and winning races. Cooper Webb is like the best dude in the series right now. He might not have the red plate, but he's the guy that's gone out and got it done twice. And I think for Marv, who struggled with injuries, I don't know whether he's struggling with bike setup, but there's some external factors there that is going to test his mental fortitude. And I would rather be Cooper Webb than Marvin Musquin right now. I don't know... How much of that is garbage speculation on my behalf as a guy that's never raced professional motocross. But it makes sense in my head. And when we're talking about Cooper Webb, I have spent a bit of time with Coop as well. And that kid, if you could pour fuel into Cooper Webb or like you do the wind up toy and you wind him up, The fuel that that dude runs on is confidence. There's nothing else. It's confidence with Cooper Webb. When that little dude, when that guy, oh, this little dude sounds condescending. When that athlete of Cooper Webb gets confidence and he fills up that gas tank, like, you guys need to watch out. Like, that's his, that's his, vp race fuel and he now has that and he's about to go back east which he's super familiar with and he's he's the ultimate guy that just he just runs off it and it doesn't i get the impression with Coop from being around him that it doesn't matter if the bike setup's not right it doesn't matter if he's got a niggling injury if he's got a hint if he's got a sniff of confidence it irons out all of the other kinks in his program. And that's a double-edged sword. Because last year, we saw a Cooper Webb that couldn't get a lick of confidence for everything it was worth. And we saw what happened. Nothing happened for Cooper Webb. So, it's a... On the flip side of that, when you get it, you're on top of the world. You're untouchable. You'll go on to win every lights championship that you go in damn near. But it's like, what do, you, what do you do when you don't have that confidence? Well, we saw that last year. But that's irrelevant right now because he's got all the confidence in the world. And you know he's just reliving those two wins every single day. Every time he goes to the track. Now, for a guy like him, that can be enough confidence to last the rest of this season. That can be enough confidence to overcome a DNF. He's the kind of dude that would still believe, because he's won these two races, that even with the DNF, he could still win the championship. That's him. That's that dude. That's a dangerous, dangerous guy to be on the track on arguably the best motorcycle in the paddock. That's my, that's my thoughts on that. That being said, I mean, dude, the way he rode at Anaheim one was ridiculous. That was crazy. And I had my friends being like, damn, he was going so good. I was it's like, man, any of the dudes in the top 10 could have sent it the same way Cooper did. Coop just got lucky that that thing stayed upright. And all of those risks he took paid off. I, I, after A1, I will not lie, I looked at that and I was like, dude, if he rides like that all season, he's getting carted out again. But it seems like he just I don't know, he got away with one and now he's that again, that was that first taste of confidence. Top five, the first round, terrible start, fastest dude on the track. There it starts. That's the that's the, the marble size snowball. That then gets rolled down the hill a couple rounds later, we're seeing a two-time winner in the 450 class. So I don't know, but like I said, that's a live by the, by the sword, die by the sword kind of deal. Um, we'll go through the rest of the 450 class. I'll uh, pull that up and just give some brief thoughts. I think that's, I think that's like my overall like kind of championship pitcher at this point um yeah so we're gonna just look at the point standings here so we've got Eli Tomac 106 Marv 102 Ken 102 so there's a four point gap in the top three right now and then we go back to Coop at 98 points and then we're going to Dean Baggett Barsha uh Plessinger shout out to your boy Chad Rizzle in the top 10 and 9th uh, in points and then you've got Cole Sealy who like I said I really think that Cole's another guy again another dude coming off a big injury he can come in and he can definitely win some races uh, Baggett got his win super stoked for him never been that close with, uh, with Blake but I have to respect what that guy has done um, he's a savage definitely a savage um, so, yeah, I guess that that's my thoughts. Uh, we'll talk quickly about Dino. Anyone that knows the podcast knows that I have a huge man crush on Dean. That guy can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. Um, he'd have to go so far as touching up me misses for me to get pissed off at him. Um, so, yeah, obviously the news comes out this week that he goes to the Factory Husky team. Uh, this had to happen. Ando's out. Osborne was out before the season. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the moto gods at play. Not in the fact that Ando and Zach are out and then he gets in because of it, but things outside of Dean's control mean that he now gets the ride that we all really thought he deserved. Um, but best believe, I mean, it's been documented, best believe that if Bobby Hewitt could have put Dean, um, on the semi the whole time, under the semi the whole time, he would have. Um, but yeah, that Anaheim one, fucking painful for him not to win, broke my heart, uh, in a million places, and then for him to get fourth as well, not even on the box, would have been, uh, just a, just an incredible story, um, the, maybe the coolest news, uh, out of the whole deal was this whole Ignite thing, uh, really ignited some controversy, uh, uh, um, I think that if you were in the Ignite marketing team, Ignite Cannabis and CBD, shout out to your boy Dan Balzarian, living everyone's best life. Um, if you were the marketing team at Ignite, you would basically look through NBC or whoever the fuck it is that is running that side of things where they shut it down. You would you would look through their policy and you would go, boom they will hate this whole CBD weed thing. So what we should do is we should in cahoots with them and we should get them to ban it. And then we go on social media and then we tell everybody that they didn't let us run the logo. That's what happened with Dean and Ignite is best case scenario. Like there were people that were furious and you know what my knee jerk reaction to was like, fuck them, fuck this. I really was like, I was over it when I saw it, but that, that was that knee jerk thing. And then it took me like a second to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the best thing that could have happened. The exposure that they got out of this is like so, so perfect. And now people are going to be buying Ignite products and I fucking wish I could in Australia, but we're in the stone age when it comes to that, that bullshit uh, people would be buying CBD oil for the first time just despite NBC or Feld or whoever it was that did that. Any, anytime you cover up a sticker on a bike because you can't, you're not allowed to, the man says that you can't play here, that's going to send droves and droves of people to do the thing that they just got told they can't do. And props to Dino. It's his character and it's this it's not calculated at all, but the way he handled it was like the the way to handle it. It was the move. This the whole Ignite thing is just this perfect storm that was created by people that were sort of trying to essentially stop the message being sent, but they just they just banged at home for everybody. And I mean, it was cool. Like there were some videos and stuff like Dean talking about his anxiety and this and that, um, to where they were going to get good promo out of it, but nothing like this, nothing like this, the way they banned it, not banned it, but the way they said that he couldn't do it. Perfect. Thank you. You played into this and I know it wasn't premeditated, but you played into the best case scenario for this whole thing. And i Fucking love it! I think it's the best thing ever. Um, so yeah, Dean is on the factory team. Interested to see. Uh, I think it was. It was really cool to see the post that he made on Instagram, and basically said that the real the real reason to do this, the real benefit, because obvi- like we saw he could win. Obviously, he didn't win a one, but it's we're like okay, cool, like this can happen. He's. Doing really, really fucking well. So it's not like he can't win on this privateer bike, but it was cool that he said, "Look, the stress this takes off my dad, the stress this takes off my mom, sure the stress it takes off himself." Uh, I don't think there's going to be too many sponsors that are put out by this, and if they are, maybe it's sponsors that have just given him some wheels and sprockets or I don't know, whatever. I don't think the people that really invested and really forked in cash are going to get uh, shafted by this deal at all. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, and again, I just think that Bobby, being the guy that he is, I mean, I've said it before on the podcast. Um, I think if you want to hear it, it was when I talked to Mike Sleader. He's just, he is a phenomenal dude. Like he's a really good person and he would have wanted Dean to be on that team 100%. There's just no it's the way it goes sometimes. It's just it's cash. Um but yeah, this this has worked out how it should. If Ando and Zach unfortunately did have to get hurt, this has worked out the way that it it should. What is next? Eli talked about him having the points lead. 450. I'll get into the two fifties, we'll get into that shortly. What else, what else, what else? Injury report. I don't want to talk about dudes hurt. Fucking poor bastards. Dude, the Lime thing was crazy. The San Diego adding Lime to the track, the way they did it. Um, I know it is common practice. Like Feld released a statement about it. Um, like basically like, fuck, sorry. We fucked up. We do it all the time. Never had this. Maybe that's true. It's probably fair. But they did it. There's some privateers out there that got absolutely fucked by this. Factory dudes like it sucks for the work that those mechanics put in to those bikes to then have to go like it's hard enough for the factory mechanics to turn around and do like tear these bikes down like they frame these things every washer comes off these bikes to go back and you've got a one week turnaround so it's like you sort of sit here and you're like well they're a factory team they got endless budget they got endless this they got endless that but that whole factory team deal means that there is like a crazy expectation on these guys to turn around a, a immaculate motorcycle once again the privateer dudes they don't have the resources they don't have the budget so like the expectations on themselves aren't as high as what their expectations are on these factory mechanics um, so it's like I get that you go well I don't feel too sorry for the factory dudes because it's their job they're getting paid blah 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 but at the end of the day like They still have to turn around the same motorcycle whether it rained or not like the condition of that bike needs to be in like just like it was any other race so they're up against it they're expected to do the same result from a way different uh starting point which yeah it's it's gnarly and for the privateer dudes like they got fucked like fucked and I don't know, and I'm not gonna to talk too much on the details of it, because maybe Feld is gonna turn around and offer some support. Um maybe the manufacturers will offer support, but I, I can't see that happening. But like either way, man, like someone is responsible. And and not to mention, like, Ken didn't I saw on Ken's Instagram he didn't even start writing until like maybe he got one day in this week because the burns were so bad and I know a bunch of dudes are like that like it it's you can't fucking do that and i i'm not sure if i even understand the thinking behind like the lime thing like if it's going to be a mud race it's going to be a mud race like i'm i'm not sure to the level at which you think you could save a track by adding like a drying agent like To me, that would be when there's no rain in the forecast at all after. Like, yep, the track got jacked. There's no rain in the forecast. We can try and save this thing. Like New Zealand Supercross this year was a good example of that. Like they had the deluge after the tarps come off, which was super unfortunate. Uh, But then they knew that there was nothing on the radar. Like it was clear. But I just, I wonder like for it to rain that hard after the covers come off, it's like, you can see that shit on the radar. Like if, if you just pull up any satellite weather imagery, you can see it. There's like, if it's a possibility that it's just going to keep raining, like why risk the safety of the riders and then like hurt the, essentially just hurt the pot, like you're crushing the pockets of these privateers for the chance that you could maybe make it a little bit dry, even though on the radar, it says it could still piss with rain. So, like, I don't know. I don't understand the mentality. I've never had to put on a Supercross race. This is just me speculating. But then the end of the day, it's like, dude, like, for Fell, there's no... Whoever makes the call to put the lime down on the track, like, there's no real-world consequences to that. There's no physical consequences to that dude or that, that lady. It's like, oh, fuck, hope this works. Ah, damn it, it didn't. It rained again. But it's like, you're sending dudes out on a track that's not safe anymore in terms of like chemical burns and shit so to me it's like just don't fuck with these dudes in that way like don't risk it if it's gonna if there's even a chance it's gonna rain and it won't soak in and then you're gonna leave these chemicals that aren't mixed into the dirt which is basically just gonna have like this like, a chemical that can burn your skin, and fuck your bike, like, just don't, why risk it, if, if it's a mud race, it's a mud race, like, the mud races that we have raced in over the years, is insane, we remember them, we love them, they're a fuck around for the people involved, but, dude, like, the images of Chad on that, on a Yamaha, and, geez, I want to, I can't, oh, nine, I don't know, my trivia sucks, but, like, you know, Chad going through Daytona, like, you know, the, the images of, yeah, Daytona in particularly, A1, like all these crazy mud races, like, I just don't, like, you're not saving that shit, I don't know, I hope that there is some form of compensation to, especially the privateers, Um, and I hope it's a lesson to where they just, they just don't do this again, like, I don't know, That's uh, my take on it. Um, What else before we get into... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we get into from here. Uh, Well, I think that's me done talking about the 450 class. Uh, So from here, we'll go to the 250 class. Uh, You want to talk about another man crush? I admitted my love for Dean Wilson. I'll also admit my undying love for Adam Cincerello. To this day, one of my favorite people I've ever had the chance to work with. Um, His golf swing is improving at a a dramatic rate. Dramatic. To the point where I'm impressed. So there's that. And he also has the points lead going into the break. And, man, like, it's a sick series right now in, in the West Coast. You've got... Four dudes that have clearly risen to the top. You've got Ferandes, you've got Colt Nichols, you've got Shane McElrath, and you've got Adam Cincerello. And these are all dudes that really should win this title. They've all been in there long enough. They've all got amazing equipment. They're all fast enough to win. But unfortunately... Three of these dudes are going to be crushed again. Again. Once again, three of these guys are going to go home and go into motocross thinking, I let that one go. That's how close it is between these guys. That's where the level is at right now in the lights class. And Adam Cincerello is the guy that has come out on top so far. But he's also... Being the dude that's made the most mistakes i guess you would say at this point like really like ac got 14th in one moto in at anaheim too like there's no fucking way adam cincerello should be getting 14th in a triple crown moto but that's supercross and that's the lights class i mean he just got the points lead he's carrying that momentum into the break, he now gets to focus on outdoors, uh, which I think he has every uh, fastest lap time for the last 75 years, he just seems to slay those one lappers in qualifying outdoors, Uh, but he's now carrying momentum in to that series, and he can stress free, concentrate on outdoors, and, and not even like, I don't even think that helps for like the prep of the outdoors. And I mean, it it does, but I think what's more important is it, it, when you go into the break with the points lead, you've just got that mental relief. Whereas the guys that don't have the points lead are then thinking about how to get that points lead. And I think it's easier. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but I I feel like there is a sense of relief, a sense of accomplishment and a huge lot of confidence that comes with clawing your way back, getting the points lead, and then going into the break with that red plate. Now, for Ferrandis, for Colt, Nichols, and for Shane McElrath, they're looking for answers. But I don't think either of those three guys need to look that far. Like, they're not that far off the pace. Did Ferrandez DNF while well, I'm just thinking about this? No, he didn't. I I just had some thought popping up. I was like, shit, did Ferrandez's bike let go at some point? So I'll read out the points lead right now. So it's AC, 114. McElrath, 106. Colt Nichols, 104. And Ferrandez at 102. So again, throw a blanket over those four dudes. There's not a long way to go to come back from this break And Shane McElrath have the points lead. But unfortunately for him, he now has to wait to get that chance. He has to wait now to come back. Even though he's so close, he's eight points down. That's nothing. He still has to wait. And what is it like to go into that break and know that you do have to wait? What is that like to overcome? But in the case of Shane, I've said before on the podcast that I think Tyler Keith is one of the best team managers in the game right now. And being a young guy, we've got time to see what he can really do as a team manager. Now, the Troy Lee KTM team, and I'd I'd, I'd love to talk to Tyler about this as to why. He thinks they haven't won a championship indoors or outdoors yet. With the talent that they've had, they've come so close. They've come so close. Every single year, they give their riders a bike that can win. They give their riders the support that can let them win. And they've won a lot of races, but they haven't won that championship yet. And it's like... Are they missing something? Is there a stone that's been left unturned? Or is it just a case of of luck? They just haven't had the stars align. And it's not like they've been beaten by bad guys. The closest title race that comes to my memory is Cole Seely and Jason Anderson. It's like Jason Anderson's the champ. Cole Sealy has gone on to win a bunch of races in the 450 class. It's the way it goes. There's one dude on the gate that wins. But with that team, like I don't see any reason why they can't be this championship team. So, I don't know. Shane McElrath might be this the guy that is going to post that biggest challenge to AC. It might come from Colt. It might come from Ferrandis. But either way... Again, it's this super exciting battle between four dudes that can win and they all should win. It's time. It's time that Shane McElrath wins a title. It's time that Dylan Ferrandes wins a title on US soil. It's time that Colt Nickel comes out of obscurity and wins a championship. He can do that. And it's definitely time that Adam Cincerello wins a championship. It's almost going against destiny in a way that Adam Cincerello hasn't won a championship yet. It seems like there's some weird wormhole shift that happened somewhere along the lines between him graduating to the pro class and now that he isn't a multiple-time champion and contesting for race, uh, for race wins in the 450 class. So all four of these dudes on the West coast in the lights class should win this championship, but only one of them can. It's going to be interesting. It's one that has kept me very invested. Uh, and like I said, with, with Adam, I've, you know, got a, a close sort of, uh, relationship. Want to see him win. Uh, but at the same time, man, like I can just see I can see these other dudes doing it. And I think that I think that if you had to ask me who can take this championship away from AC, even though I don't think he's been the best guy out of the three left that don't have the points lead, I think it's Shane McGillrath. I think he's got the program, I think he's got the bike, I think he's got the composure, I think he's got the speed. But the question is, can he put enough of those ingredients together to take this title away from AC? I'm going to be watching, that's for sure. Um, So now the other big news that we will go into, and this will close this down, uh, is we're going east, son. We're going to see some ruts. We're going to have some roofs over our head. We're not going to have mud races. I don't know. Maybe yeah. No, there's still the possibility of, of east coast mud races, but not in the same way. Um, we go east, and it is, uh, I think, more stacked than the west coast. There's always the debate. That is like the debate is which which coast is best. Is west the best, or is it the beasts in the east? And this year, sorry to say, boys but I'm looking at this East Coast like it's pretty stacked. Now, that's not to say... I think there's always confusion here on this topic, actually. I think that there's a difference between which coast is more stacked, but I think people think that the coast that's more stacked means that whoever wins the East would win the West or vice versa. But I don't... I look at the way... Let's talk about Phoenix. I think the way Adam Cincerello rode in Phoenix was the best 250 class main event performance that I've seen since Ryan Villopoto. He was absolutely ripping that place apart. That was a slick track too, man. Like He was so on that night on a very slippery, very technical track. And he looked like he was in a league of his own. So even though I'm saying that the East Coast is more stacked than the West, I just don't think that means that the guy that wins the East is automatically going to go over to the West and tail everybody up. I don't think that's the case. But I will say that to me, when you read the names, I think that the 250 class on the East Coast is going to be stacked. So... Let's go who, through who is going to be in the hunt. For me, I think you start talking with Pro Circuit. I think you look at Austin Faulkner and Martin Davalos. I think you look at them first because they seem like the obvious choice. But I don't think either of those two will win this championship. I think that Davalos, I feel, I feel for Dav. He's a super good dude. He works extremely hard. And realistically, he's another one where, like, there's been some kind of, like, hole in the cosmos that seems to have conspired against him and he has not won a championship. If he didn't have that visa drama, uh, like, he was winning that title. Like, and even now in hindsight, knowing that AC went out with his shoulder injury, like, it's game over, son. It's over if Dav gets led into Canada. And it's like, that can give you confidence to be like, yeah, I was the man that year. I was going to win that championship. Uh, But it also could plague you as, like, the ultimate, like, one that got away. And I think that if you look at the results that Dav has had since that incident, like, we've never seen the same guy again, in my opinion. So that, for me, is why I'm saying I don't think he can... Not that... I I, Okay, I... I know he can win this title. I don't think he will. And that's just before all the racing starts, I could be completely off. But as I sit here right now, not knowing a practice time, not knowing a qualifying time, not seeing a heat race win, which he'll probably win every one of, I just, I don't see him winning this title. Austin Faulkner is one of the coolest, one of the most charismatic young guys that we have in either championship either coast either class he's a super rad dude he will probably be the fastest guy on track most times he goes out but again I think that he's still green he will win but I think he has a winner all-cost mentality still and I hope he doesn't because he's a super cool dude again can he win this title? Yes. Will he win this title? I don't see it coming from him. Now, then let's go sort of further down the list to who I think are going to be super solid. Alex Martin is on JGR. It's going to be really cool to see Alex get on a team where he is the the dude. Uh, I think that he was the dude on the Cycle Trader team, but it just didn't have the resources. And I don't think there was this slow burn of momentum that had built up for him to sort of put in the, the results and win a championship at that team. So granted, he was the main guy. I don't think that was the right program to get it done at the time. Uh, then he moves to Star, where his brother is literally the Star. And then I think that he wasn't the A dude there and then we're seeing him, then he went to KTM, had some amazing results, didn't quite get it done there either. Now he's gone to JGR. This could be the switch up. This could be the change up that gives him that boost he needs to take it to the next step. I could see him winning races, but again, I don't think the championship is going to come from Amart. Man, I'm being ruthless super ruthless. I could also be super fucking wrong, but you know what? Yeah, we'll throw it out. I'm all, I'm all good with being wrong. I'll be, I'll be happy to be wrong on some of these, to be honest, to be, yeah, to be, it's a good way of looking at it. I will be happy to be wrong with some of these. Um, but I'm just going to try and call it as I see it here. Who is going to be good that is not on that list? No, actually, you know what? Hunter Lawrence, fuck bro. I'm so bummed. I'm so bummed. I was so excited to see him race Supercross. That kid is, he is the great white hope of Australian motocross as it stands right now. That kid is insane. He opened up the world's eyes at Motocross and Nations, obviously did amazing uh, in the MXGP season, came to the US. I've watched every damn Instagram clip of Hunter Lawrence. I've been sucked in. I'm on the hype train. I would have sat here, if he was racing, and I would have said, you're on notice, my boy Hunter from bloody Queensland is going to come in and he's going to tear you all up. I said you'll try to make that happen. Didn't work. Uh, but that's not the case. You broke my heart. You broke my heart, Hunter. Uh, I wish you a speedy recovery. I hope you don't try and rush back. Uh, that would be a shame. I think if you have to wait, to outdoors, way to outdoors. Um you have a crazy career that is just getting started. So, look after yourself and come back and when you are back, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say that you're going to be the dude. Um so that leaves me to talk about Justin Cooper. Uh he's essentially like he's a rookie still. Like he, I think he did one race last year, got injured, so we haven't seen that. But like, you definitely hear about how fast he is, and that star program is unbelievable. You also have the fact that his two teammates, who he's going to know how he goes against those dudes. You believe that. He is going to know, and I don't know for sure, but I'm going to speculate that he rocks up to that test track with bulk confidence when he can hang with those boys he saw that red plate on Colts bike he goes god damn that'll look good on my bike uh so I think that if he can get through rounds he is consistently going to be one of the fastest people on the track I'm predicting some bad starts and ridiculous rides through the pack I just think he is going to be super fast um the guy that I also think is going to do extremely well and I would I can I expect that we see Chase Sexton on the podium pretty much every weekend so I think he is going to be this very very solid title contender and I think when we go back to the west he's going to be hugely in the conversation again if he can stay healthy um I really believe he has the speed and the consistency and even as a rookie he was so mature like yeah he made some rookie mistakes but damn he was good he was a good rookie like a really solid rookie he had such a good rookie year that you then have to think this year like he's gonna be better again and he was good like he didn't really make too many of those rookie errors last year he was it seemed like every time you went off the start he was up there every time there was a battle for the podium he was there so like i don't know i feel like sexton is a guy that's going to be on the box every weekend even if it's third every weekend i think by the time we go back west he's going to gather so much momentum and just cash points at every round that he's going to be in the conversation Nearly done, I promise. Um, So that leaves my championship prediction in the 250 East class for 2019. And if any of you know the roster, who is in and who is out and who I haven't spoken about, you might have predicted that I think that Jordan Smith is going to be the guy that gets the Troy Lee KTM team their first championship. I think that... I know that he has a great relationship with Tyler Keith. I know that he's been on that bike for long enough to be extremely comfortable. I know that that bike is good enough to win. I know the headspace that Jordan keeps himself in, the way that he carries himself. And I think that there is this timing... And the way that his story has played out that situates him perfectly to make a massive run at the 2019 East Coast Championship. And I really see him being the Adam Cincerello of the East. I see him being the guy that is really going to push the pace in this championship. Yeah, I mean that's, that's my prediction. And I'm, I'm definitely, I don't know, I'm going out on a limb and and saying it and I feel good about it, but yeah, he, he seems like the guy for me. Now what's weird about Justin though, and this is like the question mark with it all, he lives and trains at MTF full time, which we've seen some very gnarly dudes come out of that program. But we also know that that's like the AM program. Like that's where the, that's where the fast kids go. And it's like you're in, the West, you're in the East Coast Championship now and being a fast kid isn't enough. Like you need to be the dude. And can you gauge if you're the dude when you're training with the fast kids? That would be like my only thing of like, can he win this championship? What's the preparation been like? I mean, I've got no doubts that he put in the work. I've got no doubts that his bike is on point. I've got no doubt that mentally he's ready. But I wonder if Jordan's going to get to that first round and there's going to be a group of dudes on the track that have a pace he hasn't been around a lot. And I wonder what the, let's say that is the case and he gets there and that first practice session, there's guys throwing down and it's not like he can't go that speed. I don't think that there's any doubts that, that whatever the, the level is, whatever the pace is that he can't match it. But I wonder if the fact that he's been training with M kids at MTF will like, surprise him at any point at that first round and like what does that do to your mentality when you've been grinding and 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 working and then you get to the first round and again it's speculation I don't know if this can happen but I mean this is if I have to look for a reason why Jordan won't win this championship or won't come out swinging in the way that I expect him to and hope him to playing that devil's advocate role is like can you be fast enough to win an East Coast championship in 2019 with a stack field by training with fast am kids it's, it's not a knock on MTF there's fast guys that have come out of there but it's not the norm right now he's on KTM he's got the chance to work with Alden the proof's in the pudding there and he's chosen to not do that I think that at the very least, we have to acknowledge that as a gamble. I could be completely wrong. I could be way off. I could be super far off with this. But it looks like a gamble to me. And hey, he would know something I don't when it comes to this. But that's my only thing when I'm sitting here saying that I think that, that Jordan Smith is going to deliver Troy Lee KTM their first championship in 2019. If I have to like look for holes in that plot, if I have to look for ways that that won't actually manifest itself, I'm looking to that. I'm looking to the unconventional nature of not training with Alden Baker when you have the chance to and training at MTF. And granted he's been there. He's comfortable there. He knows that facility maybe he's got it like obviously he's got his own reasons why he wants to do it and he knows something that that we don't but it's like that's not the norm that's not what we're seeing wins championships consistently if anything we're seeing championships come from alden like just look at osborne last year like it's essentially they're on the same bike same program same family so i don't know that to me is like if if there's a reason he can't win this, cha- not can't, if there's a reason he won't win this championship or if there's a, right, ah, that's wrong. I can't say if there's a reason he won't win it. That won't be the reason. But it's like, again, if I just had to look for like plot holes in that fairy tale of the Troy Lee Design KTM boys getting their first championship and it being with Jordan Smith this year, that's where I'm going to look. That's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to say there's a there's a hole in this plot. But anyway, I think I'll be wrong there. I think that there's a reason he's doing it. I think he knows what he's doing. He's a super intelligent kid. He's a really, really smart kid. I don't know. Maybe know knows something we don't. Um, but yeah, so that's my prediction for the 250 East. I'll be not tuning in. I'll be on a plane to Vietnam. So I'm going to put this on the internet and I'm going to probably, not probably, I don't know. I could be super wrong about literally everything I've said. Um, but yeah, maybe not. So, anyway, that's this little Supercross wrap-up show. Um, I would, yeah, we'll be doing this again when Sam's back. We'll have the TV going. We just built the studio. We'll have the TV going. We'll actually be able to watch some races. We'll be able to watch some highlights. We'll be able to watch some Instagram clips. So, I'm going to do my best with what I've got with just me talking into a camera for this particular episode. Um, Thanks to Mick for his help with this. And we'll be back after this little vacay um through through Nam, um but yeah thank you everyone for listening uh if you're new to the podcast if this is the first time you've seen this uh go back check out some of the uh episodes that we've done done some bangers with some yeah really really cool people uh subscribe to this channel if you would like to see more of this content i'm going full vlogger full vlogger Swipe up. Get that merch. No. Um, but yeah, thanks everyone for watching. If you've made it this far, I didn't think it would go this long. We went deep, deep, deep. Uh, but yeah, no, I think we covered some some good shit. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, anyway, thank, thank you for watching. Good luck to all of the guys on the, on the East Coast coming up. Uh, good luck to the guys that are still grinding it out in the 450 class, uh, putting their life on the line so that i was about to say a bad word so that dickheads like me can sit here and scrutinize their every uh move but i appreciate uh what those guys do for our entertainment um yeah good luck to everybody stay safe out there to everybody that is racing um and that is it for now peace